Let us pray in preparation for the reading and preaching of God's word. God of all wisdom, you have promised to speak to us through our living word. So now, as the scripture is read and Pastor Sherry preaches your word, open our ears and hearts to receive your spirit of truth. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, then 21 through and 22. <clears throat> As the people were filled with the expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. I don't think anyone will disagree that the year 2010 will be remembered as a major turning point in the life of Mercer Island Presbyterian Church. Turning points, by their very nature, require us to stop in our tracks, to take stock of what is happening in our lives, and to regain a sense of balance as we head a new direction into a new future. With the announcement of Dale's retirement after nearly 23 years of pastoring in this congregation, we find ourselves at such a turning point. I also believe, and I have certainly experienced this personally, that turning point times are times when we have a unique entry point for the Spirit's leading in our lives. Do you know what I mean? When we are in control, when our routines are unaltered, and we're more or less on automatic pilot, God has a little harder time getting our attention. That is not to say that God brings a crisis or change into our lives just to get our attention. Rather, when the change or crisis comes, we are much more likely to notice that the Holy Spirit has been trying to get our attention for some time, and we just haven't had the time or the ability to sense the Spirit's presence because we're so busy or so distracted with the daily demands of life and work and school and even church. Sometimes, of course, 
it's possible to overdo the emphasis on turning points, and I don't want to do that. Remember how panicked everyone was when we were about to enter into the year 2000? Some people were sure the end was near. The Y2K scenario had all of our computers crashing, the government and financial system in chaos. Little did we know that would come later for different reasons. <laughs> Even this year, the Times ran a, a front page article on January 2nd about the fact that that particular date was a palindrome, a rare confluence of month, date, and year that reads the same backward as it does forward. Apparently, we now have a cluster of those rare dates coming up after more than six centuries without any palindromes. Now, it seems like that should mean something, at least for those desperately searching for meaning in their lives, but probably it doesn't. And though some may have been searching that day for time tunnels to enter or waiting for some cataclysmic event to occur, I think what it really illustrates is that it is human nature to ponder new possibilities when an apparent turning point is on our horizon. For the next two weeks, we will be looking at events in Jesus' life that were turning points in his ministry. Times when his openness to seeking and being faithful to God's will for his life facilitated the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven on earth. With Dale's upcoming retirement and a new strategic planning process about to begin that will guide us forward into the next five years, I wonder what we can learn from Jesus and his faithfulness in those critical moments in his life and ministry. In what ways might our openness to seeking and being faithful to God's will for our life together facilitate the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven on earth to our congregation, our community, and far beyond. Today we look again at the story of Jesus' baptism, and we are reminded of how even in the silent years between the manger and the Jordan River, those years about which we really know very little in terms of what happened in Jesus' life, the one thing I believe we can be sure of is that God's watchful eye and faithful love never, ever departed from him. He was always God's beloved child. Luke's gospel doesn't give us much to set up the story of the baptism of Jesus. In fact, it seems to focus more on the private side of the event than the public. We do know that there were others being baptized because Jesus was surrounded by the people he had come to seek and to save. But the voice that spoke to Jesus after his baptism, during a time of personal prayer, that voice was spoken to Jesus alone. In Luke's Gospel, it is when Jesus is having an intimate conversation with God the Father that the heavens open and God's spirit dove descends upon him. In that moment, all those first stirrings of his calling that he surely felt as a child in the temple and as a teenager and young adult making choices that I'm sure set 
Jesus apart from his friends. In that moment, and through that voice, his identity and the purpose of his life is fully revealed. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. That was the defining moment in Jesus' life. It was God's declaration of love to the Redeemer of the world. He was God's surprise visited upon the world that silent night in Bethlehem. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. God names the Savior of the world with a beautiful, personal expression of love at the time of his baptism. In turning points like these, there is nothing more important for any of us than to hear God call us by name. A while back I read about something I still wish I had in my office, or better yet, that the church had in a place where everyone could see it as they entered the church. In a Methodist bishop's office in Ohio, there's a fountain where water runs down the face of a smooth granite slab. And visitors are invited to place their hands on the slab and to let the water stream over their fingers and to meditate on the words that are carved into the stone. Remember your baptism and be thankful. In other words, remember who you are, a beloved child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, who gave up your own life for a higher calling, to love God and to share the fullness of that love with others in Jesus' name. Until we know we are made and loved and claimed by God as God's beloved child, we have nothing to offer this world that it cannot offer itself. But at the moment we realize who we are in Christ, we have the power to change this world, one loving act at a time, one changed life at a time, starting with our own. Now there are those who suggest that what many Christians are missing in their lives is a sense of vocation, a sense of call, a turning point, if you will, in their life of faith. In many ways, those of us who pursue full-time ministry take the easy way out. We assume a prescribed role that seems to meet all the requirements of a Christian vocation. But what we give up is this. We give up the hard work of straddling two different worlds because we more or less take up full-time residence in the church world, doing our church business vocation as pastors. But having a vocation means more than having a church job. It means answering a specific call. It means doing what one is meant and gifted to do. In religious language, it means participating in the work of God, the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is something that maybe, just 
maybe not enough of you believe you are called to do. Somewhere along the way we have misplaced the ancient vision of the church as priestly people, set apart for ministry in baptism, confirmed and strengthened in worship, and made visible in service to the world. If we're honest, hearing an invitation to ministry like that probably gets translated in one of two ways, either as an invitation to do more, like join another committee or teach a vacation Bible school or usher or greet on Sundays, or as an invitation to be more, to be more generous, more loving, more faithful. But what about this? What about the idea that your ministry, the kingdom-building work you are called and gifted to do, might involve being just who you already are and doing just what you already do, with one difference, that you understand yourself to be a beloved child of God in and for the world around you. You have been set apart for ministry in baptism. Your ministry is confirmed and strengthened when you participate in the community life of this church. And your calling is made visible when you walk out those doors and you go and act as God's beloved wherever your week takes you, be it home, school, office, law firm, hospital, grocery store, or Starbucks. Wherever you go, you are going as God's beloved, baptized in the powerful name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are called, you are claimed, you are loved, and there is nothing in this world that will change that reality. No cataclysmic event, no lining up of the stars in a certain way, no palindrome, no pastoral transition, no personal or professional or financial loss or gain. No, nothing, says the Apostle Paul, nothing will ever be able to separate any of us from the love and call of God upon our lives and upon our church through Jesus Christ, our Lord. <clears throat> Friends, may we use this turning point in the life of our church as an opportunity to remember who we are and whose we are. May we find ways to intentionally listen for that gentle yet powerful voice of the Spirit of Christ eagerly waiting to lead and guide us all into God's future at a time such as this. For everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. May God open our ears and our eyes to that purpose in the months and years to come. Let us pray.
Lord, your prophet Jeremiah assured the people of Israel of your promise to provide a hope-filled future. May you fill the souls with the hope and joy of that promise as they begin to prepare themselves to enter into a new chapter of their lives, knowing that they have served you so faithfully in their long season of ministry here. And may you lead us on as a church with the hope and joy of that same promise as we seek your Spirit's wisdom in our time of transition ahead. May this turning point in our life together be a powerful witness of your purpose and power and glory here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We celebrate the opportunity to share what we have with those who have needs. May we give generously as our ushers now come forward to receive the offering. <laughs> 